Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi there. I want to talk to you about Doug. No, you're okay. This one, real fucking up. Okay, this is not now. This is bowling. There are rules. Hey, Walter, come on. Oh, you're from the neighborhood. You're right. Well, that's not entirely true. I came to see you, but where are the paperweights? That's what I want to see now. It's just torture and murder. No platinum characters, very, very realistic. I think it's what's next. Am I hallucinating here? Just what in the hell do you think you're doing? Learn about Cuba. Toast to toast, my friends, to our health and cheer and happiness. Otto, let the ritual begin. Hello and welcome to the Cult Film Companion Podcast. The home of movies that are off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. My name is Chris, I'm your host, joined as ever by my co-host Andrew. Good afternoon. Sir, how are you doing today? I'm surviving my partying from last night. It was New Year's Eve. So we've got the first episode of the new year, and we thought we'd start things off right with a movie that starts around Halloween and goes right through the Christmas season. And that, that movie, of course, as you know, because you clicked on this episode is Showgirls, the notorious 1995 erotic musical drama. Erotic musical drama. I like that. That's true. Yeah. Directed by Paul Verhoeven, known for such movies as Basic Instinct, RoboCop, Total Recall, uh, Starship Troopers, and um, a bunch of um, movies that he did in his native homeland. Written by Joe Esterhaas who we'll get into because he he's come up with something here. I'm not sure exactly what, and we'll get into exactly what he has said about this movie, but um, the two had previously collaborated on Basic Instinct, so they had worked together before and been very successful before. Showgirls was produced by Alan Marshall, Charles Evans, and Mario Kasser. The cinematography was done by Jost Vacano, who has worked with Paul Verhoeven previously. It was edited by Mark Goldblatt and Mark Helfrich. The music was done by David A. Stewart. This movie was produced on a budget of $45 million. Woof! It only grossed $37 million, but then it went on to set all sorts of records on home video and made well over $100 million on home video, so it, it recouped... It did eventually recoup its money. The movie was released on September 22nd, 1995. The film stars Elizabeth Berkley, the former star of Saved by the Bell, as Nomi Malone, or Polly... We'll get into it. (laughs) Nomi Malone is not her real name. Uh, It also features Kyle MacLachlan as Zach Carey, the events coordinator, manager, producer of... um, of a big Las Vegas casino and uh, theater. Gina Kershawn, pers- yeah. Gina Kershawn portrays Crystal Connors, the, uh, sh- the initial star of the big musical extravaganza number Goddess. Glenn Plummer plays James Smith, a bouncer that gets fired, that becomes a bellhop that gets fired. <laughs> Who claims that he wrote 
<laughs> I don't know if he cl- he claims that he wrote a number for Nomi to dance. Uh, he sees her at a club and is interestingly attracted to her. But we'll get into it because everyone in this movie is, is instantly tr- attracted to her. She has this aura, um, kind of undeserved aura, if you ask me, <laughs> of instant attraction from everyone around her. And that goes on to uh, this character, Molly Abrams, portrayed by Gina Rivera, who befriends Nomi after Nomi uh, ends up hitchhiking to Vegas, and then the guy that she hitchhikes with rips her off, steals her suitcase. We don't know what's in the suitcase. I have a theory that it's the same suitcase, briefcase, that was in Pulp Fiction, but (laughs) that's completely unfounded and not true at all i just like to think that these movies are somehow related yeah that would be uh that'd be a kick and um so the story is stranger goes to vegas with aspirations of becoming a showgirl which is um a very uh, relatively low bar to which <laughs> kind of it's kind of setting yourself I, I guess that's kind of setting yourself up for a reasonable goal though you know a lot of times we see movies about when we did beyond the valley of the dolls a rock band trying to go to la to make it or actresses from a small town midwest town going to uh, la to make it big in the movies and uh here we just have a girl that wants to uh to dance yeah so, yeah even though, even though by the end she's on her way to 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 Hollywood to Las Vegas, I think she's going to tackle the film industry next. That's my interpretation. Well, uh, no. Well, you don't think so? Why? Why would they show Los Angeles as the the last you know image in the movie as they're driving away? She's got bigger plans. Oh God, I hope not. <laughs> she's going to wreak <laughs> havoc in another town now. <laughs> so this this movie um, is notorious for a lot of reasons. It was a big box office flop. Uh, the critics tore it to pieces. It was nominated for, I think, seven Razzie Awards. And if you don't know what the Razzies are, it's the polar opposite of the Academy Awards. The Academy Awards... Uh, um, Likes to look at movies for great performances, great directing, great cinematography. The the Razzies are the polar opposite. They they deal with the movies that seem to um, fail in those various aspects. It was nominated for ten awards, it won seven, and then it won worst of the decade. So it's won a total of eight Razzie awards. Oof. But since its release, it has become a huge cult. Classic. I could. I. I would say classic. It is. Some people. Pe- There's still. I, as I told you, they're still making documentaries about it to this moment. There's um, a writer who 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 does a tour where he uh, kind of breaks apart showgirls and presents it as a misunderstood work work of art. That's what that, he says. His yeah. his words, not ours. Work of art. And he's it's, the one on the commentary. Yeah, he does a great commentary um, it's hilarious. for the movie. It's hilarious. Um, partly because I don't think anybody else wanted to talk about this, <laughs> this movie. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was it, it bombed at the box office. Critics ravaged it, but um, it's 
it's got a huge cult following now, and you, if you've seen it, you kind of get why. Um, because, like, some movies that are so bad it's good, or so bad they're really bad, but they're just entertaining, um, it's usually for one aspect, like one actor's portrayal. Like, The Room is notorious for, for Tommy Wiseau's directing and acting, and that's pretty much the um, the running joke of why The Room is so bad. And Ed Wood films get kind of ripped apart because of... Um, they're bad, a- amateurish. They're very amateurish. <laughs> uh, values. Bad special effects, bad clothing, bad, um, bad everything... Uh, Showgirls, though, believe it or not, was a passion project of Paul Verhoeven. He always had aspirations of doing a big MGM musical. And after the success of Basic Instinct, he talked to his old pal Joe Esterhaas about wanting to do it. And Esterhaas proposed, well, why don't we do a a, a Vegas, big Vegas musical? And... This is what they came up with. Oof. It doesn't remind me of any MGM musical I know, and I've seen them all. So, yeah, I just want to start off by saying that. <laughs> so, you you unironically love this movie. I unironically love this movie. I I don't I don't think I unironically love this movie. I think I I do ironically love this movie. Okay. But uh, this last time that we viewed it, uh, it did resonate with me more than it has in the past. The the elements, the serious elements, actually <laughs> resonated with me, believe it or not, um, more so. So if I were to view it unironically, it would have been this last viewing more than any of the others. Because any time before, I mean, I did what you did. Like, I would just laugh and laugh and laugh because it is. It's a laugh fest. Every single minute is a laugh. Moment is a laugh fest. Uh, but I, I, so, yeah, we'll get into it. So this, this did speak to me. I found a le- I found a level of honesty, believe it or not, in this movie. And we shall discuss so, the honesty, though. Um, let's talk about Joe Esterhaas, the screenwriter. <laughs> the unhonest. The, the, <laughs> the dodgy. So. Duplicitous. He initially claimed um, that he wrote Showgirls during a very tumultuous time in his life. And that everything, you know, after, after this was much more upbeat much more funny, um, lighter. But previous to this, he had written serious, you know, pretty serious movies. He wrote Flashdance, Basic Instinct, you know, thrillers. And so he... I think he wrote Sliver, too. He wrote Sliver. That he, would, uh, he wrote Jade, which is a, a, a notorious uh, David Crusoe vehicle that, that, that failed. And... Um, but at the time, so he was advanced $2 million to write Showgirls. Wow. He was then given an additional $1.7 million once it was picked up by a production company, MGM. And between this, Basic Instinct, and Sliver, he was the highest paid screenwriter in Hollywood history at the time. I remember. I remember that. I remember knowing that back then. So. Yeah. 
But I bring up honesty because after the backlash that this movie received, he kind of went on the defense and said that all the humor was intentional. All right, so let's let's talk about this for a minute because you also you've also brought up repeatedly how behind the scenes Paul Verhoeven looks extremely serious about making this movie, like he's making a Citizen Kane, which it seems like he did think he was doing. <clears throat> now, I want to I can't help but always make comparisons to Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. For some reason, I consider them very much of the same beast in a lot of ways. Um, although I think Beyond the Valley of the Dolls is, is a good movie. I will say that over and over again. It's a good movie. Showgirls is not a good movie, but it's wildly entertaining in the same way. Now, I remember when we covered Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, uh, they didn't. the cast didn't know if they were filming a comedy or a drama. And Russ Meyer directed them as if they were filming a drama. Is correct. that my correct? Right, yes. Right. So... It seems like this is kind of the same uh, dynamic being played out with Showgirls, where he directed the... I don't know if he's in on the joke. I don't know if Russ Meyer was in on the joke with Beyond the Valley. Russ Meyer was in on the joke. He was in on the joke. So in this case, it's the same dynamic, but the director is not in on the joke. Neither is the screenwriter. And neither is the screenwriter. I I do not... Because I do not believe him for a second. That he that he said it was intentionally I, yeah. because and I bring it up because Beyond the Valley of the Dolls remember they had that test screening and everyone laughed at it yes not knowing that they were pretty much supposed to laugh they were at supposed it. to be yeah yeah not the case with Showgirls no um, it was not intended to have that effect and with I audiences think, yo Esther House pulled a, a, a Tommy Wiseau Tommy Wiseau wrote directed starred in the room and during production uh, took it very very seriously he thought he was making a very serious drama a very serious movie, but then once it became the joke that it is now, the punchline that it is now, the the midnight movie, the movie that's so bad it's it's hilarious, so bad it's good, uh, he he's backstepped and said that this was, he meant to make a black comedy. And going back and watching The Room and knowing the backstory, because there's a book, uh, his co-star in the movie wrote about it, and knowing the actual history of the movie, that's not true. <laughs> he is not a seasoned, you know, Hollywood player, though. You know, the people involved in Showgirls are, which so is it's just you know shocking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to yeah. So that comparison, it's it is it's jaw dropping when you think about it. Because we've got Paul Verhoeven, um, who's, and and then, and then another thing about the humor in the movie, Paul Verhoeven. His other movies, although pretty serious in nature, he's directed movies that have intentional humor. There's a lot of intentional uh, parodies of 80s culture in RoboCop. There are some very funny scenes in Total Recall. Starship Troopers, while it is you know a sci-fi action movie, has intentional humor. He knows how to interweave intentional humor. And I don't see any of that in Showgirls. I think all the humor that is derived from this movie is unintentional. Okay, so let's break it down. <clears throat> so the the writing, the writing is first of all the movie. Okay, so it's it's ridiculous. I mean, this is let's. How do you start talking about Showgirls? All right, I do want to bring up. 
I do want to bring up the uh, concept of camp, okay? Um, camp is when elements of a production are so heightened that it has nothing to do with reality and you don't you don't know whether to get swept up in it or to laugh at it. It becomes um, cartoonish almost. So this is definitely the case with showgirls. It's everything is heightened. There's nothing that's that's yeah, go ahead. Mm. I would say that we we're dealing with two worlds. I think that when when we're dealing with the musical goddess, it's a very heightened sense of reality. But I think that some of the more serious scenes aren't played for camp. They're trying to be tender, serious scenes. Sure. Okay. Yes. No. I. Well. Sure. Okay. So that it, you don't have that, you know, that soap opera organ literally playing in the background, like in Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, when things become melodramatic. Um, but it's still there, and there are those moments. You're right. And I, I'll talk more about those moments because that's what resonated with me this time, even though you know it's not. It's still not very good movie making, and I, it's like you know, I've seen it enough times where I'm like finding other things that are kind of speaking to me. But I think the the writing, it's pretty juvenile. It's bad. It's bad. So that's <laughs> one of the points I wanted to make. Secondly, Elizabeth Berkeley's performance in and of itself is just off the, you know, balls out crazy. It's crazy. She's there's nothing. I mean, in a, in a movie that's written with a, with very very little attention paid to consistencies, her character in particular and her performance in in particular is filled with inconsistencies. And I love. Tell me the name again of the guy who did the commentary. Do you have it um, on hand? I think it's Andrew Schmader. Okay, he. Uh, so David Schmader on the commentary. Uh, talks about what what were we saying i forgot her performance okay david spader schmader schmader david schmader talks about how basically all she does is stare and kick in this movie yes and that is like she's got that down and she goes from you know one emotion to another like on a dime and it's always over the top she'll go from laughing and giggling like a little girl and sucking on her you know like Lo- lollipop ring. The lollipop ring, yeah. yeah. It's classic. Yeah, to, to, you know, to turn in total thug. Total thug, you know. Switchblades, right. everything, you know. It's like, stay the fuck away from... She has two modes. And before we go any further, we should... Um, I'm just going to put a little disclaimer here that um, due to the nature of, of some of the conversations we're going to have to have, th- this, this episode's going to be a little more sexually explicit because I like Thank to say that this movie... There's a lot of sexy people doing very unsexy things. <laughs> and the the casting of Elizabeth Berkley is kind of a shock to have someone who basically made it was a, a TV actress. Well, she campaigned for the role heavily. I do know that. I know that she would call Paul Verhoeven's office and say, it's Nomi Malone. I want to speak to Paul Verhoeven. Yes, that is true. a true story. Like, she really... Went method before she even got the role. You know, oh. saying, I am Nomi Malone. That reminds me of, um, what's that actress that she showed up dressed like Catwoman? Oh, yeah, Sean Young. Yes. Yeah, right. She pulled a Sean Young. She pulled a Sean Young. She dressed, <laughs> Sean Young dressed up like, uh, wanted to be in Batman Returns so badly. 
And she just like showed up someplace with Tim Burton dressed up like Catwoman. Yeah. Kind of freaked Tim Burton out. She didn't get the role, but uh, Nomi Malone did go to Elizabeth Berkeley. And I could just say this. Her acting, she's not capable of carrying a feature-length movie on her shoulders. I think she does it beautifully. I really do. <laughs> and I believe me, I get I get where you're coming from. And we touched on this even in Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, how you're just like these, you know, these are not, you know, seasoned actors that we're watching. But I feel like they really, in Showgirls, I really stick to Showgirls. I really feel like she's doing what needs to be done for this movie. It feels that way. She has like two, like, uh, I would say that she has three different modes. She just stares, or she's very, very happy, or then she's pouting like an eight year old. Well, the anger. Don't forget the anger. So there's, there's also four. the anger, too. But yeah. I love yeah. the pouting. Yeah, the pouting is kind of the best. She's, she's always like, <laughs> like, she stabs friends for eyes. Like, this woman buys her a meal. And, like, her reaction is, like, French fries, but I wanted onion rings. <laughs> it's, like, so whiny and pouty. And it's the screenwriting. I, I, This guy doesn't know how to write for women. I don't even know if he knows how to write for men. But he writes for women like he's watched a documentary about how women are supposed to talk. And It all feels like it's filtered through a man's fantasy. A man's fantasy about women. A man's sexual fantasy about women. So right. everything seems to trickle down from that. Well, he. Uh, yeah, well, yes, because in both Basic Instinct and in Showgirls, we have a lot of girl on girl. Girl on girl. We have a lot of bisexual women. Yeah. We have a lot of lesbians. We yeah. have a lot of yes. We have a lot of that. And in Showgirls, particularly, I haven't seen Basic Instinct in a long time, but in Showgirls, particularly. Um, the most the most erotic scenes, you know, sex scenes or sex-like scenes, are between women in, in it. Yeah, yeah, because the scenes between her and Kyle MacLachlan... <laughs> Doing the... the, the, but the, the we, first, we have a lap dance, which starts out normal enough, and then becomes... I, it looks like she's having a seizure. An epileptic fit. It, she, it's an epileptic fit. And then the sex scene, there's a sex scene in the pool where she's... Doing she, the th- same thing. They're, they're in a pool, but... And it's very... What, <laughs> I showed what you... you what did I, you call it? Yeah. It's the, it's the fish that jumped out of the fishbowl and is now the fish out of water just flopping around because <laughs> it's used to swimming, but it just ended up out of the bowl. Now it's flopping up and down. That's the way she, like... I don't know how she does that, to tell you the truth. I don't know why she breaking does breaking her that. back. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> Who does that? Nobody right? has sex like that. <laughs> I know. Maybe people with seizure disorders do. I think it's funny because... <laughs> Who came up with the idea? I don't know. Who came, was that storyboarded? Because they storyboarded all of the all the dancing, all the sexual dancing. Yeah, so I'm sure so this... they storyboarded her doing the fish flop. So Paul Verhoeven must have a very interesting... Well, between him and Esther Huss, they must have a very interesting concept of sex. I don't know if they've ever had sex. Stop it. Because that's not how people read. But there's no... But it doesn't... They don't care. Like, that's the thing. They don't care. This movie operates by its own rules 150%. It has... it has no bearing on reality, really, except for the streak of honesty, which I, I will still talk about. Uh, 
but I mean, it in terms once again, like in terms of something like camp, like Charles Ludlam's theater for of the ridiculous. Uh, it's it's theater of the ridiculous, basically, when you're watching Showgirls. Like that seems to just be the overlying uh, um, license for the film. It's, it's okay to be as ridiculous as possible. Here's my problem. All right, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls is very campy. Yes, the acting is very similar. Ninety percent of those characters are likable. Nobody in Showgirls is a likable character. Okay. Okay. They're not likable. They're not relatable because nobody talks the way that these people talk. Yeah. Children talk the yeah. way that they talk. I know. Children behave this way. <laughs> this yeah. is not the behavior and talk dialogue that adults have with each other, though. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's my problem with the movie. Is that I can't really argue that. Like uh, we were listening to this, a, yeah. another somebody else reviewing this movie. That it, it's good that your character has flaws, but if your character is nothing but a walking flaw, which this woman is, I'm convinced that she's a sociopath. Yeah. And for the longest time, throughout seventy five percent of this movie, I was convinced she was also illiterate. <laughs> but I mean, the only thing that throws a wrench in that works is that she thinks Versace is pronounced Versace, so she must have looked at that word and at least phonetically put it together. But otherwise, your 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 idea, your theory holds water. She could be illiterate. Well, she, on top of it all. Well, the scene is I, there was a scene where she has um, she's having dinner or lunch with Crystal, and she can't read the menu. She looks at the menu, <laughs> so we don't know if it's a, a you know it's maybe pro- it was, it, is it Spago? I don't know if they're serving like foreign cuisine. I mean, that's what you assume that she doesn't know what you know what a. Um, okay, but those know, three guys from Texas know Spanish or French or Italian. The three Texans that walk in later that scene. Well, you know, Texans, Texans who are rich and have a lot of money, they're pretty savvy about stuff like that. Even though they're from Texas and wear ten gallon hats. You know what made that seem perfect? What if she just looked at the menu, said, "I don't know what any of this is," and the waiter just brought her like a child's menu and, <laughs> and some crayons that she could. <laughs> Because she acts like a child. She acts like she acts like a pouty, like preteen girl. There's no, there's no, uh, yeah, there's no centeredness that stops and thinks. She just reacts. That's all she does. She's she all, reacts and reacts. Yeah. She when she stares, she's thinking, or you think she's no, thinking. She's <laughs> she's staring like the fat kid from Bad Santa. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's off in her own lane. And even like the behind the scenes stuff, I swear to God, she was not listening to the director. She like doesn't make eye contact. He's directing her. She's not making eye contact. She's playing with her hair. She's like looking off in the distance. She's probably, she's used to like sitcom acting. Boom, 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 boom. You know, I do my scenes and then I'm gone. I don't know who thought putting her in a movie, like a two and a half hour movie, was a good idea. I do. I think it was a great idea for this movie with her. I mean, I can't imagine anyone else in it. Who would? Who else would you put in this movie that would be <laughs> better than Elizabeth Berkley? <laughs> At that time, I'm trying to remember who was around at that time. (laughs) Who would be better? Probably anyone. (laughs) I don't. I I think she's brilliant. I really do. You know what? Give the role to Sean Young. She probably would have done it. Yeah, but I mean, she was. Yeah, she was a little too old by that point. 
I mean, I'm, I'm, I can't remember in 95 who, who were the big stars. They were still adult stars. They weren't so young anymore. I know Susan Sarandon was first choice for Basic Instinct. Um, that character's yeah. That character's a little bit older. She's an established author. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You want, but I get it. It's it's one of those things, and we see this quite a bit now, uh, especially with like Disney stars when they when they grow up, they kind of want to shed the Disney label, so they try to do something a little bit more adult. Lindsay Lohan, tr- you know, tried to do that. Uh, that dark thriller and um but we see it a lot happening and i think that's kind of like what elizabeth berkeley was trying to do she was trying to shed the the prudish nature of jesse spano that she had portrayed on saved by the bell because that's what she was best known for she had done some other independent movies and she had done some tv shows but she was best known as being the smarty goody two shows know-it-all prude on saved by the bell and now she's naked i would say 75 percent of this movie (laughs) maybe maybe but whatever her motivation she's going after it that's the thing like you see her going after it completely invested and that's i guess what works for me that's what i look for that's what i that's what gets me going and so when i see that i'm just like okay um i'm on this ride with you whether you like whether i like it or not you know i'm not pulled it i and, and this is another thing i don't get Everyone is just like immediately, like, as soon as you meet Nomi, like, she becomes the center of your universe. This stranger invites her to live with her. This guy sees her dancing like a, if you want to call it dancing, she's like throwing her hands up in the air and like, and he's like immediately like drawn to her. And even Crystal Connors, the bisexual lead of Goddess, is drawn to her. And, like, everybody just, like, they just need to have her in her life. She's like a drug, I guess. <laughs> but I can see the appeal of drugs, and I don't see the appeal of her. Because, yes, she's attractive, but she's not particularly smart. She doesn't seem to have any personality. And like I said, I think she's a sociopath because she doesn't seem to care about anyone but herself. At the very least, she's a narcissist. A narcissistic sociopath. Um, I, believe it or not, can relate to (laughs) this narcissistic sociopath. Maybe I'm hopefully a recovering narcissistic sociopath or a sociopathic narcissist. But I, I, there's a level of desperation that's going on with her character. Now I'm not, I'm not defending, I'm not defending the the setup that everybody is drawn to her and wants to make her the center of their universe. Like that is a device that's being used over and over again. Whether you whether you can suspend your disbelief for that or not, um, and it's perfectly understandable if you can't. It's just like why, but uh, she, she, there's a level of desperation that is fueling her throughout the whole movie and that comes to me that comes through in spades um and i know i mean i i guess i speak from experience like i know what it's like to have that kind of desperation and really want people to kind of like you and pay attention to you and make you a star (laughs) so i mean yeah hopefully you grow out of it that's all i have to say i don't know if she does grow if she's gonna grow out of it well, interesting enough. Just she's speaking, headed to Hollywood. Well, uh, apparently, and I haven't seen this for sure, but uh, I've seen some clips and I've seen references. 
So apparently this is a uh, Showgirls is now canon in the Saved by the Bell universe. She's guest she's guest starred on the new reboot. Yeah, yeah. So her character is there and I guess they there's some joke about her character's getting divorced and they say that Jessie needs to let loose and go wild and she said the last time she went wild and she was in Vegas and uh-huh. <laughs> bad things happened. Uh-huh. So I guess uh I guess we're to understand that the the a student uh, head of the class became a showgirls person that almost killed someone and almost killed actually a couple people and now is back to being saved by the bell. That's all very confusing. It has nothing really to do with showgirls. I just wanted to mention that it's very. I guess it's one of those things that. It's kind of like accept like Showgirls is like accepted as the movie that it is, not as the movie that they thought they were making. It's not a grand well, MGM musical. It is not. So Paul Verhoeven initially was supposed to do an adaptation of Moby Dick, <laughs> Herman Melville's Moby Dick. He was supposed to do that, and uh, it. But apparently, this was his passion project. He always wanted to do a musical. He talked about that. It's not really a musical. <laughs> it's just nobody sings, and I get it. People dance. People dance. All right. There's a lot of music. There's a lot of music. There's, There's a actually lot of a lot of good music in this movie. Yeah, there is. There, like the Prince tracks and the, the, the Susie and the Banshees track at the end. There's some David Bowie. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, right, and what were you talking about? There was a uh, My Life with the Thrill Cult. Uh, My Life with the Thrill Kill Cult. Yeah. That's a good song. Yeah. She does the lap dance, too. Yeah, that was, a, of, that was a good remix of, of that. Yeah. Th- there's a bunch of Prince songs, uh, one of which I James claims... It, this this irritated because <laughs> as as someone that as a as a musician or a former musician my my previous life um that would be it's always very enticing to girls if you say i wrote a song for you and he kind of does that with this but it's clearly a prince song. it's a prince song and he keeps saying it over and over again. I wrote this for you. I wrote this for you. He doesn't say so anything I don't about know. I choreographed Yeah, this he doesn't for say you. I choreographed a dance for you. He says, I wrote this number for you. And it's very clearly a Prince song. So I have issues with that because uh, Prince is a musical genius. And that guy's just... Un- again, nobody in this movie is likable. With the exception, kind of, of um, Molly. Molly's a sympathetic character. I like gay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, she, folks. She the... That's the end of our episode on Showgirls. Thank you for joining us. Who is she? <laughs> Who is she again? She's the costume. She's the costume designer that chipped her tooth on a quaalude that's, and met her husband. That's right. That's right. She's Those the only damn she's chewable quaaludes. She's honestly the only one that seems normal to me in this movie. Like, like, except yeah. for the fact that she somehow chipped her t- tooth, tooth on, on a, a quaalude. quaalude. I know. That's that's uh, once again the, one of the most ridiculous things to say. There's a lot of this movie is full of dialogue that no but like like I get it's very juvenile and I it is worth mentioning that both Paul Verhoeven and Joe Esterhaus are not um, American by birth they're both right. they're both from other countries so you get this weird prism of Vegas American Las Vegas. Through the uh, he's uh, Esther Huss is Hungarian and and Verhoeven I think is 
Dutch? Yeah, he's Dutch. He's Dutch. All right. And the cinematographer is German. So we... <laughs> okay. So we've okay. got... I mean, you know, the stuff that plays out like it's supposed to be an MGM musical, all the flashiness, uh, it's um, it's the the tackiness is extremely high. The tack, the tacky factor is very, very high. It kind of reminds me of certain uh, Europe, Europe, European productions that uh, I either saw or didn't see when I was in Europe. Um, and a lot of the time they would be kind of trying to copy American entertainment, but it comes off uh, very schlocky um, and, the, and tacky. Showgirls comes off like the Bollywood version of yeah, Showgirls. Yeah, it does. <laughs> It does. Those productions, the goddess production numbers are very Bollywood. Uh, do I? I seem to mention Moulin Rouge every time we do a podcast, but I mean, that's kind of the vein that it's going in. So, all right. So I, I, but I, Moulin Rouge is self-aware. This movie is not. This movie is not self-aware. I don't care what Esther Haas says. This movie not is not self-aware. It is steeped in its own psychology. It really is. It insists upon itself. It does. It, yeah, yeah. It's like this is this is how things are, okay? In this world. According to Joe Esterhaus and Paul Verhoeven. Mm-hmm. Again, we see women who talk about being naked, talk about their nails, eat junk food. Nothing but junk food. Nothing but junk food. It's like what a te- what you would imagine. It's kind of like what a teenager... It's almost like a child wrote this. Because it's like, I just got out of prison. What do you want? I want a lollipop ring. I'm hungry. I need a meal. Okay, let's go to McDonald's and grab a burger. It's like not... It's not adult... Like, adults don't act this way. I know. Even, like, this guy, uh, Kyle MacLachlan's character, has got this beautiful, beautiful house... With a beautiful pool, which is very adult, it's very mature, and then he has neon light-up palm trees. Mm-hmm. Again, that's something a child would imagine. Well, that, that that's <laughs> that's also kind of Vegas for you, though. So just keep that in mind. Is it? That's that. He seems like a very smooth kind of guy. That is tacky. Those it is. those neon palm trees are tacky as yeah. hell. Yeah. 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 Okay. What? So, yeah. Go on. Go on. I was just going to say, like, this is not a realistic depiction of Vegas, though. Well, it's not a real just depiction of the world. That's it's very, just not. it's true. It's just not. So, I mean, let's just establish that. Let's just okay. say, okay, like this movie, you know, this movie is not based on reality mm. um, in any way. But, however, I do want to talk about the underlying uh, level of truth. And the underlying level of truth that I saw this time when I was viewing it is basically the sleaze factor. The uh, the sex entertainment industry's sleaze factor. Uh, the way that they relate, they all relate to each other, if you start kind of just looking at it as basically carnal associations with each other, um, it seems to make a lot more sense. At least I found so. Uh, so the way that they talk to each other, I mean, political correct- correctness is out the window. Um, and you just kind of operate on a, on a primal base level, just like in basic instinct. I mean, that's what, that's what basic instinct is all about. It's about uh, operating on that very primal level. And that's, that's to be applied to showgirls as well, because that's what they're all doing. 
they're all operating on a very primal level, and it has to do with uh, with lust and with sex and drugs. Uh, yeah, sure, but I mean that's almost you know uh, to enhance the whole sexu- sexual you know okay. atmosphere. I, I remember uh, in acting school we were covering Picnic by William Inge, which was written in the fifties, and my teacher was just like, "What's going on with these characters? What's going on with these characters?" None of us got it. None of us got it. And finally, she was like, it's sex. Like, they all want to have... I mean, I don't think she said they all want to have sex with each other. But it's like everyone wants to have sex with someone, at least, you know. And so this is the driving motivation. I mean, it's it's not even a subtext in Showgirls. It's basically right out there in the open. Uh, but, but then again, like, it contradicts itself in certain ways sure it's full of contradictions go ahead uh well and especially the character james who initially condemns nomi malone for being a stripper well well and then for yeah that's right go on he does yeah he condemns her for being a stripper and then he says that he has she has more raw energy more raw talent as a dancer I don't know whose eyes he's looking for through to see this this talent. And it, it's worth noting too that Elizabeth Berkeley actually has training in ballet and had done productions of Swan Lake as a child. So it would go to figure that she can dance, well, and I, some of the dancing is good. But I, th- I think the choreography is awful. But anyway, finish finish your thought. James says to her, "Like you shouldn't, you know, why are you wasting yourself being a dancer?" Uh, being a stripper, excuse me. Yeah. And then when he finds out that she's auditioning for Goddess, um, he has a fit about that. He says, well, at least, you know, as a stripper, like, you know, there's no uh, there's no put on with that. You are right. what you are. This is, this is all, saying, you know, this is all fake. You know, this is all, you know, trying to disguise the fact that you're all strippers. Yeah, at the Cheetah Club, at, at the they're, they're paying for tits and ass. Right. And you're giving them tits and ass. And, but and in Goddess... They think they're seeing, you know, class and it's actually tits and ass. Yeah, but again, his only motivation is Nomi. Yeah, yeah. By the he way, wants he yeah. wants he make he doesn't say he wants her to be his private dancer, but he makes he says that he tries to be really deep and philosophical and like falls flat all the time. He has some of the most ridiculous dialogue. Like there's AIDS and shit. Everybody got AIDS and shit. Just that, just a sentence like that. In a movie. I got a problem with pussy. Yeah, right, right, right. And that's him being, like, real. Like, you know... That's him... That's... And again... See, but that's what I'm talking about. Like, everybody's obsessed with sex, basically. But but nobody talks like that. No. (laughs) Nobody talks like that. That's the thing. Like, I got a problem with pussy. I always have. I always will. That's something... You hear on TV when you're 13 and then you repeat. This is not something adults... Okay, you're starting to repeat yourself. Okay. <laughs> Let's let, I mean, we've already established this movie is ridiculous and is full of inconsistencies, especially in its writing. Yeah. So let's, you know, we know. Okay. <laughs> we know. We know. So, so all right. So let's, I mean... I mean, this movie is wild. Don't you find it wildly entertaining? It is very entertaining. Okay. That I will I let's, will give it. Let's that. talk a little bit about that because, I mean, I want to, you know, I do get serious about almost every movie that we talk about, and I've already kind of gotten serious about this movie, but, I mean, this movie is a camp classic. 
So we we're, we should kind of like you know try to find. I don't see the campiness though. That I I don't see. I don't see camp usually when done well. Camp is very intentional. A lot of stuff is campy that's not done well though. Yeah. I, I mean, I, even all right. So here's a good case. Here's a good case in point. Whatever happened to Baby Jane? Okay. Whatever. When I first saw Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, I was actually very disturbed. Actually, the first time I saw Mommy Dearest, I was very disturbed. These are considered two camp classics, and it is interesting to note that Betty Davis was nominated for an Oscar for Baby Jane. And that would have legitimized the movie tremendously, but she lost it. There's a whole, there's a whole backstory to that. But she lost it, and once she did lose that Oscar, she thought she was going to get it. She did deserve it, but once she lost that Oscar, it was difficult for her to find work for a while because all of a sudden now she was camp. You see what I'm saying? Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So it kind of. So this, well, going well it, to your point. This movie cost Elizabeth Berkeley her her agent, her talent oh. agent, dropped her. Oh, other talent agents wouldn't answer her Touch phone her with calls. A ten-foot pole. She seemed to uh, she, get the <laughs> the reference. Yes, I do. <laughs> um, that she but, would lick. Oh yeah, we'll we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, that goes to my my sexy people doing very unsexy things. Which this, this movie is full of. It's full of, but there, no stripper. Would slide up and down a pole and then lick it. <laughs> That's and also not only is it this movie has some really gross <laughs> stuff in it. It's it's nasty. No, but like nasty. there's like menstrual blood, uh, monkey shit, like just thrown in. That's what I said. It's very juvenile. Y- yeah. It's like yeah. Now I mean, you but, know. but 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 even th- but sticking with Elizabeth Berkeley's career, like. She took the bullet on this one she because did. everybody else they kind put of it on her relatively unscathed. Mm. Paul Verhoeven. I mean, I, I'm sure. McLaughlin. Yeah, but he was never. Other than his work with David Lynch, he was never really like a Hollywood leading man, right? So, but he he still works. Elizabeth Berkeley has recovered. Yeah, Gina Gershon continues to work. Right. Paul Verhoeven continues well, to direct. We yeah, and we can talk about Gina Gershon for a minute because as as the commentary says, and as you've said, she seems to be the only one in this movie that gets it, that gets what the movie is and gets what her part is in it. So. There's a there's a there's a foundation with her. So I think she's the only one that I mean, if you want to argue the merits of whether or not this movie is aware of how campy and, and silly it is, I think she understood it. Yeah. But I think too. she's the only one. She may be. Because even yeah. Kyle McLaughlin, he, he didn't. It wasn't until the screening that he realized. Really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, how do, how does it feel to sit and watch your movie and then to see every and hear everybody laughing at it and you? And how your did hair. that how did that how did Elizabeth Berkeley feel? How did I mean that's a survivor if you have to deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. Yeah, it's like the musical Carrie. You know, how do you go out on stage and they're laughing at you and laughing yeah. at you? At so, least in a movie, it's done. You know, you can, yeah. <laughs> you can hide. You can leave the theater. It's not like you could, yeah, you can't walk off stage. But 
But yeah, no, Gina Gershon's performance, yeah, she knows. She knows. I think so. And I, but nobody else knows. And hers seems to be most reminiscent of a performance that would come out of Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, or even Valley of the Dolls, the original. You know, like it's it's pretty, it's pretty solid. She calls everyone darling. Yeah. She's named herself after her favorite kind of champagne. Which yeah. is Cristal. Cristal, yeah. But, but she calls herself Crystal. Yeah. Okay, all well, right. Maybe she's illiterate, too. I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> is Cristal spelled with a K? The, 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 okay. I've never had Cristal. All right, I, haven't, I don't think uh, I have uh, either. So, all right. but, um, no, Kyle MacLachlan was, uh, w- was kind of shocked. He was taken aback. Although, I got it, I... I got to hope for his sake that when they gave him the hairstyle that he has, his angsty emo kid hairstyle, like half in the face, like that's what it, it, it screams to me, like angsty emo kid. I think it's blue black. I just dyed my hair blue black, so I should know. I'm actually turning into Kyle McLaughlin and Showgirls, uh, but I won't have that same haircut. That haircut is, is ridiculous in and of itself. And he had a cut like that in the doors, didn't he? No, he was wearing a wig. He was wearing a wig. It was a wig. But wasn't it kind of like a bowl cut or something? Yeah, but that was the stuff. That was the. That was actually the sixties. Yeah, so that was the actual. Yeah, that was the actual style. He actually looked like that. It was longer. It was shaggier. Yeah. This is like trimmed, half trimmed, and then like left half long on one side so it could like yeah. come over his face and he can kind of like fling it he could fling it <laughs> like Cher does <laughs> but like it doesn't it doesn't work and again that's not that's not that's not the hairstyle um an adult <laughs> would have so right yeah his hair is a disaster his performance like he's he's good I don't think he's the very really. Good. I I think I that guess he's serviceable. I think he plays the sleazy guy very very well. I mean, so, some of his lines are iffy, but that just goes to the whole like all, most of the screenplay has very iffy dialogue. But he plays a sleaze bag very very well, especially in that scene where he per, he pretends. So there's a scene where um, Nomi is 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 told to. Well, and this brings up another thing. The boat show. <laughs> she's, yeah. supposed to, she's supposed to promote the hotel at a boat show. Why they're having a boat show in the middle of the desert in Las Vegas is beyond me. And I asked you the same question. You couldn't answer it. No, no, no. I could answer it. Like, the, you know, it's an expo, basically, isn't it? I mean, they they can do, you know. I would think they were. You'll go to Vegas to kind of like. We have have boat expos here in Providence because we are the ocean state. (laughs) They have boat expos in California because they are on the ocean. I've never heard of having a boat expo in the middle of Las Vegas. Well, that's besides the point. That's just, again, I think that's some Hungarian's man like thinking, why not a boat show in Las Vegas? I'm not thinking about the actual. feasibility of the life. logistics of yeah it. yeah yeah so she's at a boat show and it turns out that um one of the high rollers is uh you're, you're supposed to basically you do a little dance on a boat but then you're supposed to go out for dinner and have sex with these high rollers and the scene, and I, and then he so she's upset and she throws another temper tantrum and she pushes 
She she does a lot of pushing of people. She's yes. constantly pushing people. Yes. Uh, sometimes warranted, most of the time not. Right. She's just so she pushes her way through the crowd, throws a, what do you think I am kind of thing, and then like she gets angry. One of her four act modes, she goes into anger mode, and then she talks to Kyle MacLachlan's character Zach. And th- I mean, the scene where he she relays what happened to him. Like he actually, he's very convincing as being like a very sympathetic. Like he's shocked that such a thing has happened, even though he's in on it the entire time. Right. He, you know, he's right. Like, and he he so makes he's putting the, on. You know, he makes he makes the. He and makes she's the, about to leave. He goes, "No, I want you to hear this phone call." And he gives this phone call, and he's like, "If I ever hear anything like this again, you're out on your ass, pal. You and your golden parachute." I don't know what the... <laughs> you're out in your ass with your golden parachute. Um, but he plays a sle- he plays this sleazy Las Vegas guy very well. I I I like I like him as an actor anyway. So maybe I'm a little biased. Um, but also I think that Elizabeth Berkeley's acting. The problem is is that when she's acting against someone else that is a much better actor, like Kyle MacLachlan or Gina Gershon. Her bad acting just becomes even more amplified. It's easier to see in the scenes with, and I don't want to rag on Gina Rivera's acting, but her scenes with Molly, they're both kind of like at the same level of acting. They're just kind of like, they haven't really gotten there yet. They don't have that, uh, they don't have it yet. They're not established, you know, you know, actors that have worked regularly like McLaughlin or, or Gershon. So, her scenes with Molly, it's kind of like, okay, they're both kind of like on the same level here. But when you have someone like Kyle MacLachlan, who's, who's given it his all, you know, despite Is the material. He? I think so. See, I find him boring. I find, I find the, you know, the acting styles of Elizabeth Berkeley and, uh, and her roommate Molly to be amusing. I'm sorry. That's where I get my entertainment from in this movie. Sure. Yeah. Because again, yeah. it's. I mean, do you really want to see really good acting in this movie? Do you really want to? see I good wouldn't acting? say that there's any really good acting in this movie. <laughs> I think he's. Yeah. I think maybe what you said serviceable. I think. I think that um, if he was acting as over at the, over the top though, like the, I don't think this movie. You need some of these characters that are saying what they say, even though it might be ridiculous to say it seriously. Like, you need um, Glenn Plummer, who plays um, James. You need him to to really believe that everybody got AIDS and shit. Like, the way he delivers that line, he's like, you know, he's it's not a wink and a nod at the audience. Like How, he, how do you deliver a line like that, though? <laughs> and actually be convincing. I don't know. He managed to do it, though. Oh, you're saying he, he succeeded. I think he succeeded in being like, Okay. okay, he probably read the script and went like, "Some of this dialogue, you want me to really say these kinds of things?" Yeah. And like, okay, I got a problem with pussy. I got, I got to say that, and I got to. So he, he's, you know, he's like, okay, if that's what you want from me, that's what you're gonna get, and you want me to deliver it like this. He probably listened to Verhoeven's directing. Uh, I don't think, again, I'm going to go on record saying, I don't think she listened, because, although Verhoeven's storyboards seem to back up, like, the way that she's acting. Basically. You know, 
I, I remember seeing a movie where they were talking about sex, and they said that some women lie there like a starfish. You know, they just lie there okay. like a starfish. Okay. So we've got the two extremes. we got the starfish, and then we have the fish at a water flop okay. that Berkeley utilizes. And then somewhere in the middle is the way that people actually have sex. Okay. <laughs> like, okay. Um, so, you know, I just think that her acting... She wasn't ready for a, a major motion picture. She's just... At least not I mean, to be we're, the lead. You know, we're we're going to go over this and over this and over this and over this. Who else... What, I mean, what kind of actress, what kind of acting do you think this movie should have had? Given that it's showgirls. See, that's the problem. Yeah. I, I'd have to go back to square one and be like... Yeah, I mean, rip you're, you're up you're the gonna, script. You're gonna, with... You know what you're going to do, Chris? You're going to trap yourself in a hall of mirrors. You're right. If you try and find, you know... Okay, well, no, we needed good acting in this movie. Yeah, I'm trying to apply logic here, and that's just not... <laughs> and what did we say? Yeah, logic need not apply. So, how do we approach this movie? How do you... With some appreciation. You have no appreciation for this movie. No, I do. <laughs> I actually have very... I have fond memories of this movie when I first saw it. I think I told you... Um, yeah. <laughs> this is probably the first NC-17 movie that I had seen, so... Um, you know, I was a teenager when this came out, so obviously I couldn't go to see it, and my parents certainly weren't going to take me to it. But I remember a friend had taped it off of HBO or Cinemax, and uh, he made tape, he made copies for all of, uh, his friends, and I had a copy of this movie. And it, you know, as a as a fifteen year old boy, I loved this movie. Yeah, well, I know, and, you, and liked, you liked the the the. Um... The Nomi and Hope dance as well. It's very sexy. It is very sexy it because be. it's and the dances. The dances she does with Gina Grishon are sexy too. They are. Yeah. It just seems that again, this might be Esther Haas. He he likes writing for bisexual women or lesbians. Okay. Like Basic Instinct has, uh, like the three lead females are all bi. One's a lesbian. The two are bisexual. You know, he that's like. That's a very heterosexual male fantasy. That's like the, it's, you know, that's why lesbian porn is so popular. And like, you know, before it became um, more accepted, I remember there was like a big lesbian kiss on a TV show. Like, like oh my gosh, did you hear this? Someone's ever going to kiss? And it's like two seconds long, and you know, and like that fulfilled like your, your, base teenage male fantasy that kiss between nomi and crystal at the end in the hospital room is gross oh no i love it i love it it's such a full-on kiss is it the first time we see like a kiss like that it is it's like the first time a kiss is really set up yeah it's supposed to, it's probably the most of all the kissing in the movie, it's probably the most romantic kiss. Yeah. So, so this is where this is where actually some of the the tender moments did resonate with me because I felt like with characters that are relating to each other in such a carnal way throughout the whole movie, I'm not going to call it a film. Uh, is then all of a sudden they actually get affectionate with each other at certain times, and it is it does seem. Uh, contrived, totally contrived. But for me, like I was like, okay, these people actually do care about each other. I started to actually care about them. 
Crystal and Nomi especially. For some reason, I I gave a shit. So I, I do find this movie enjoyable, but there is one aspect that is absolutely reprehensible and very hard to watch in this movie. Because the most sympathetic character, in my eyes, is Molly. Who has given Nomi a place to live. She's studying something. She works hard. She's in school. She brings in Nomi. She has this crush on this this musician. She knows Nomi pushed Crystal down the stairs. And then she is subject to a brutal physical and sexual assault. And it's not, like, this. it just takes, like, this very hard turn, this movie. Yeah. A very yeah. hard turn. Yeah. And it's, 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 and it's, an, it's actually neat, very needless. In it the is. In whole movie, you haven't seen anything like that, that brutal. It, Despite all of its, uh, you know, s- s- there is sexual violence, uh, and there is violence in the movie. But, I mean... This, uh, you know, and there were versions. I think in the R-rated version, it was cut out. They cut out the rape. Right. Um, it's 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 a it's it's a terrible scene. It's a horrible scene to and watch. And like you said, it's it doesn't. You don't need it. No. There could have been any number of ways to wrap up this movie. I mean, it makes Nomi's revenge all the more satisfying. Um, so it does operate on that level. But even just the way that it's it's staged the whole rape scene is just kind of like all of a sudden you're in it and it's and it's um a terrible it's a terrible terrible rape and not only is it not needed it probably wasn't necessary this guy is such a big star if he couldn't get uh molly um consensually the hotel has made it abundantly clear that they have women that will, will sleep with him that will sleep with his bodyguards. He seems more interested in getting his bodyguards laid than he does himself. Seems that way. Which is, it's just, and it seems it's like, so it seems bizarre. Like, it seems like, once again, like, the rape is, is maybe anal. We've been uh, dealing with no, this. No, they I said th- there was the, no, because when she's in the hospital, they said there's vaginal, vaginal tears. tears. Okay. And I'm sure that if Esther Haas had, you know, if he was going to write vaginal tears, he would have written anal, anal tears. Yeah. You know, you know. So I don't think it's it. It doesn't. The way that she was raped is not really the important part. It's just the whole thing that is just like it comes out of nowhere, and it makes the movie. That's makes the movie unlikable for me. It it stopped being entertaining at that point. The revenge, like you said, it's very satisfying to see this guy get his ass kicked. Oh, but then. We return to this kind of like goofy showgirls aesthetic where all of a sudden she's doing spin kicks like she's Jean-Claude Van Damme kicking this guy's ass. Kick, kickboxing. Right. She's got the knife. She's doing flip kicks. She's doing all this like kung fu and like, but so that, that, that one scene just like, it's so out of place. Like I it's Take it out of the movie. It doesn't need to be there. You could... Any number of things could have filled that place. Um, 
So I do find this movie very enjoyable. It's very rewatchable. So because what, do you, what do you like about it? What do you I actually l- like about this movie? I, I like a movie similar to something like The Room, where people thought they were making one kind of movie, and it turns out like okay. this. Okay. I find that very entertaining. Okay. Um, because that mindset, if someone goes out, and we've had this debate with people, like if you set out to make a cult movie, I think you're going to fail. I think you're going to try too hard to make it a cult movie because you have this idea in your head well cult movies are weird or cult movies are campy or cult movies have this if you try to do that i think you're gonna fall flat and i think i've seen movies that i'm like okay you're trying too hard it's a it, it it's kind of like the tarantino effect that we had in the 90s like when reservoir dogs and pulp fiction became huge then all of a sudden there seem to be a slew of like these kind of gritty mobster movies that had some dark humor. We had like these. They called there was a lot of Tarantino impersonators. Um, but for me, I, I I think that a cult and why I like this as a cult movie is because it set out to be one thing, ended up being something, but in the end, it's watchable and it's very entertaining. Okay, I. And I like the actors. There's also, I, I guess for me personally, what initially, when I was 15, when I first saw this, it was like I had grown up watching Saved by the Bell. I always liked uh, Kelly. That I always had the hots for Kelly, Tiffany Amber Thies and the actress. I always thought she was very, very attractive. But, you know, of course, you, you grow up, you're watching Jesse, and you see her interactions with Slater and Zach. And then to find out that there's like this, look, in my 15-year-old mind, it's almost like a, it was like, oh my God, she's doing a porn movie now. It's almost, it's an NC-17 movie. It's very graphic. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's kind of like one of those things you're just like, if you grew up watching an actress and all of a sudden she becomes an adult and she starts doing naughty things. But as an adult sitting back and watching the movie, it's just... Like I said, there's a lot of really good music in the movie, and that does it for me. Like, if this... I actually... I, I'm not a big fan of musicals, but I do... Like, the goddess numbers... And we should probably talk about the goddess musical, because there's some interesting uh, undertones and intentions in that. But the club scenes, I, I liked... You know, I liked the mu- the movie. I liked the music. Um, seeing half-naked women is, is easy for me. You know, watch. Sure. Um, I like Kyle McLaughlin as an actor, and I, again, I do like I like him as this sleazy character. It's a big change from the kind of the roles that he generally does. He's usually the good guy. He's Agent Cooper, or he's um, you know um, the lead in Blue Velvet, the very innocent uh, college kid. Um, to see him, I, and I, you know, I could get it. He's not like the the sleaziest cat kiss casino guy that i've seen in a movie but i i like the performance and for a movie that's two and a half hours it certainly doesn't feel that way it moves it which is great Mm -hmm. because i think and i i I didn't even realize until i think this last time when i was checking it for the when we were doing the watch for this i'm like this movie is really two and a half hours it doesn't feel that way which is another commendable thing and i think that 
there's so much going on. There's always something new in a scene that I could either laugh at or appreciate. Okay. Like there and and we should probably talk. What also helps the character? We we talked a lot about the main characters, but there's some very interesting side characters in this. We have the sleazy cheetah owner who renames his strippers and insists that if they want to stay employed, that they should give him a blowjob. And then we kind of have like this mother figure, um, Henrietta Bazoom, who I thought <laughs> I thought was a man at first. <laughs> I thought it was a man in drag, but it turns out it was just a, a very large woman who tells he, she tells like the corniest, dirty jokes that I've ever heard. But the way that she delivers them, I can always li- like. There's just something about her. Yeah. And then she l- does this thing where she slams her arms into her like against her and her tits pop out it's just so the thing is the movie moves the characters whether or not i like them or not they at least say something that is so batshit crazy that i can't like help but either laugh or just like roll my eyes and be like i can't believe you just said that like (laughs) and then there's the whole thing it's like nobody like you couldn't (laughs) it's just like a, a it might sound cliche, but I've never seen any, it, with the exception of since I've seen Beyond the Valley of the Dolls now, I could see the comparison to what you're saying. I've never seen a movie like this. No. And there probably will never be a movie like this again, because again, uh, this is kind of a perfect storm of a movie. And if you tried to do this again, you would you would try too hard and it would fail. And there is a show, Girls 2, for those of you who have, are invested in the story of Penny, the very minor stripper character, probably has her own movie that was a Kickstarter-funded uh, on a shoestring budget, but um, is apparently, uh, Andrew, two and a half hours? Same same length as the first show, Girls. Um, needless to say, that has not entered, entered into cult status. Um and I think it was made almost 10 years after. Longer than that, I think. Okay. fifteen, At least 15 I, years. 15, I, I 15, thought it was like 2004. No. Okay. 2011, 2012. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, but, yeah, there's... Like I said, it's just one of those movies that you're just like... Again, it's like, I can't believe that, like so many responsible adults came together to do this. I know. It's... I know. And, like, it, coming from... Like, I'm a big fan of Paul Verhoeven. I love RoboCop. I like Starship Troopers. I liked Basic Instinct, you know? I like... Um, what else has he done? Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I, I like him as a director. I think he's very, very good. And, like, that's another thing I could say about this movie. I... It looks great. The cinematography, I have no complaints about. Like, some of the shots are shot up amazingly well. The way that they, to choreograph so much movement or to have a mirror, because we're dealing with Las Vegas showgirls, there's so many scenes where women are sitting in front of a mirror doing their makeup and stuff. And, yeah. But it's like one, just, just, 
what makes this movie so fun to watch is just like just when you think of like it might get boring for a second, all of a sudden there's monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> like and like. Yep. Because that's that that's the show to, prior to Goddess. But let's talk about Goddess for a second because we got some insight about Goddess. Um. There is a mythology that goes on with Goddess and with Showgirls. Um, there's got to be there's got to be some sort of mythology with just Nomi Malone's character. Her name, by the way, means no me, as if there's no me that exists. But Andrew, what does she win at the end? He the hitcher, the, the guy that picks her up at the end says, "What did you win in Vegas?" And what me. is me? Yeah. So she got herself to take to Hollywood. Uh, Okay, so she found her. Is that what happened? Did she find herself? Did she? Did she? Nah, that's giving this movie way too much credit. She Sorry. became goddess. She did, but goddess. We're shown three musical numbers from Goddess, and it starts with the lead, initially played by Chris, uh, Gina Gashan's character, Crystal Connors emerging from a volcano mm-hmm. and she does this dance that's supposed to invite confidence and sexuality and all the other dancers and then we're seeing a sh- um the finale of goddess is is her ascending into heaven mm-hmm. as an angel or a bride of christ or something virginal yeah kind of reborn and then there's a the third musical number, which is probably my favorite just because it doesn't seem to make any sort of sense, is like a futuristic dominatrix thing where not only are all these talented dancers, they can also ride motorcycles because there's motorcycles going all over the place and then they start dancing and there's fire and I'd actually like to, uh, you know, it, it seems like the kind of weird, wacky musical that like I, I, I almost wish that like we... This movie's long enough that we could have just gotten like a full performance of Goddess at some point. <laughs> but yet, but going back to like the intent behind this movie, like uh, Paul Verhoeven saw this these um, these musical numbers in a very very serious fashion. He said, you know, there was some there's some Christian Christian mythology going in um, into them, and um, Esterhaus is now. Um, a born again Christian, but you know, at the but at the time to in to kind of have they so they kind of wanted to take this spectacle of Vegas, but give it some rich mythology, which it, which it just lead lends more credence to why this movie is so entertaining. Mm-hmm. Is because it's I've never been to Vegas, but I can't imagine like my idea. I have friends that have gone to Vegas, and I know that. Musicians do residencies at Vegas now. You know, Aerosmith has done it. Britney Spears has done it. You know, all these all these people will do year long residencies where they perform every night. And there's Siegfried and Roy. There's magicians. Penn and Teller do shows there. Um, I'm just kind of like it. In <laughs> it's funny. It's like which hotel would actually put on a show like Goddess? Dude, all of them do. I'm telling you, I told you I saw Cirque du Soleil. I saw the X-rated Cirque du Soleil. I mean, it wasn't Goddess, but it was you know it was a it was a sex you know spectacular. Okay, basically. All right. Yeah. All I right. mean, this is this is what Vegas is famous for. 
Yeah. Maybe back in the 90s, but like, wh- when did you see the Circus Soleil show? In the 2000s. Okay, but they, <laughs> it, they're trying to clean it up now. They're trying to make Vegas like a more family... They don't, they don't have any topless shows anymore? Well, they do. You go outside of Vegas and to the Bunny Ranch with its legal prostitution. No, listen to me. <laughs> they don't have extravaganza topless numbers in Vegas of today? Of course they do. All right, so dude, let's get but, real. But not like at the level that Goddess is. Yes, they do. Just okay. because you haven't seen one. Okay. And, or been to Vegas, which I have. Okay. It doesn't mean that, like, you know, it's that it's not that outrageous what they're doing in Showgirls in terms of, you know, productions. We have international press interviewing these people. I'm talking about the show. <laughs> okay. I'm talking about Goddess. Okay. Okay? Yeah, I'm talking about Goddess, too. We have international... You're talking about the press conference for Goddess. Yes. I'm talking about the show. Okay. Okay, so, like, this, no, they probably don't have international press conferences. That's probably not true. Yeah, but you're you're wanting to take everything from this movie and say no, it doesn't. This isn't how it is. Goddess is a production that is very common for a Las Vegas venue, basically. Okay. Yeah, I, especially I just, during its time. I just don't see the appeal. Well, <laughs> it's tits and ass. You go to a strip club. Like I don't see like why you would want to see a big musical. That that's just me. Just, that's dude. That's. Part of Vegas's industry, which is why I probably have no interest in going to Vegas because I don't like to gamble, and so like yeah, and you don't they, like to see extravaganzas with topless girls. Oh well, <laughs> topless women. You twist my arm. I mean, come on. If you're a resident of Vegas, uh, please write us. At, at the Cold Film Companion at gmail.com and tell us uh, what your favorite musical topless extravaganza is. What should we add to our our list when we eventually do a episode live from Vegas? We're waiting. Okay, nothing. Great. So what what keep tearing apart this movie, Chris. No, I like I'm just this gonna sit here and listen. I like this movie. <laughs> I, I have my issues with this movie, and I definitely do not like that scene at the end. I think that scene is... That scene kind of sours the showgirl's experience for me. Like, you get the you get the revenge angle at the end. Um, but that scene, like, I don't know, maybe just... Yeah, I just didn't, I didn't like that. Like, if you take out, out that scene, like, I well, really... You're going to like the movie all of a sudden? Oh, I know. I said scene? that I like this okay. movie. I said that you asked me. I gave you a whole list of things I liked about this <laughs> okay. movie. Okay, okay, you're right. So, what what appeals to you about this movie? What what was your first experience? Like I said, well, I was 15. I was given a bootleg copy of this. Okay. What, when did you first? I would have been 25. Okay. And I remember when it came out, and I remember it got a ton of hype, and I remember that it bombed, and I remember it was lambasted. But almost instantly, it became a cult classic. Almost instantly. And I remember reading in the High Times uh, a review for it when it was released on video, I guess. And they were like, just get stoned and watch. Get stoned and watch Showgirls. That, like, that's, you have to. Now. <laughs> do it. Tonight. You know. Um, 
I think they also said that the movie spent half its budget on Elizabeth Berkeley's lipstick. Which, and the nails, probably. The nails. The nails are a character oh, all of their own. And there was a scene that apparently was um, was deleted, was cut out, where she's in jail and the matron, a lesbian matron, I don't know, hits on her or something, and she scratches her face till it's bloody with her right. nails. So and, her nails are weapons, basically. And that was actually supposed to come into the revenge angle at the end. Oh, was she going to scrape she him was supposed up? To, yeah. I'm so, I don't know why they didn't go with that. I can kind of see, like that. I mean, why would the they scene stop? In ge- the you know, scene- why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they go there? Why would they stop at nails, cutting skin, and, <laughs> right. and making blood come out? I, <laughs> I mean, that would be some pretty potent Im- imagery, right there. That would be. It would be better than than the rape scene. Absolutely. Yeah. And it would actually be more realistic than all of us. Like, yeah, the spin kicks. Come on. Oh, like, with the kickboxing revenge. Yeah. Like. I could. Nomi seems like a tough as nails. She's got the switchblade from the very beginning. You know, I think the revenge. I think the Where revenge she... would have been like it would just been so like to see her nails filled with that guy's bloody skin from his face. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's what that guy deserves. He's an he's an asshole. I've never heard any of his music because he's a fictional character and we never hear any of his music. But I already tell you, I'm not a fan of his music and I'm not a fan of him as a person. And, uh, it's supposed to be Michael Bolton style type of crap. <laughs> right, Michael Bolton on stero- like on steroids and with rape fetishes involving group sex with his bodyguards. Yeah, it's just weird. So the uh, the advertising we so we watched the theatrical trailer for this, and I told you that like in a vacuum. I, I don't think the theatrical trailer kind of prepares you for the, what kind of movie this actually is. Okay. Because they, they, it starts off with, like, the, the movie uh, the movie guy voice is like, From the people that brought you Basic Instinct, they took you to the edge. Now they're going to take you all the way. And, like, the it's not club music. It's not stripper music. It's not music from Goddess. It's like, th- like if you were advertising for a thriller... Like, and, like, the scenes, the way that it's edited, like, the context isn't there. So, like, the scenes seem like they're much more menacing. It kind of seems like I'll do anything to get what my dream is. Or, like, if there's somebody above you, got to step on them to reach the top. And, like, it's just, I and I could see some of the people involved in the production said they did not like the way that this movie was advertised. Because it was, it was supposed to be, they had, they were like, it's a morality tale. It's supposed to be a fun kind of Vegas romp. And, like, the advertising kind of makes it out to be kind of like a thriller. Like, if I just saw the theatrical trailer in a vacuum, not knowing the actual movie, especially, like, the whole, like, for the people that brought you Basic Instinct. It's like, okay, like, I remember Basic Instinct. There was an ice pick killer. Like, they take certain scenes... And you see, like, someone, fa- you see the, the when um, Nobi pushes the um, crystal falling down the stairs. Like, the, I could see why they were upset about the advertising. Because it's, like I said to you, it's like kind of like if you went to uh, a restaurant and you ordered something off the menu. And then the waiter came back and was like, well, yeah, the cook didn't feel like doing that. So, um, 
yeah, that steak you ordered is not going to happen. So, uh, yeah, you like showgirls. So how about some puppy chow? Because the two girls in <laughs> showgirls used to love eating puppy chow. <laughs> so it's just, there's so many things. And uh, another reason I like there's so many things to talk about this movie. Mm-hmm. There's um, an adult coloring book for this movie. Mm-hmm. There's a coffee table book mm-hmm. for this. You could display in your house. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you've unfair unfairly painted me in the corner that i don't like this movie i just i i have i have big issues with that that one scene a sign of a good cult movie is something that you could you could watch and rewatch, and it's the kind of movie that you want to show to other people that haven't seen it because you want to see the reaction on their faces when they see it for the first time Mm -hmm. there's a lot to like about this movie there is there really is Sometimes I uh, I don't think it's ever come up yet. There's a couple. There might be a couple movies eventually that we cover that um, I might question to why it achieves such a cult status. But for this, I I totally get it. I get why. Because you're not gonna see another movie like this. Because there's nothing you can't com- really com- you can compare it to other movies. This thing is a unique beast. After watching it, you could just sit back and be like how much money was put into this movie like the director of who is that the girl from saved by the bell it's the guy from twin peaks like there's it's such like i said it could it's a perfect storm Mm -hmm. and i love me a good storm Mm -hmm. you know let it rain let it you know thunder Mm -hmm. and lightning as long as i'm not outside i like a good perfect storm and that's the that's what i this that's how i would say this movie is it is a perfect storm of mistakes mistakes were made basically <laughs> mistakes were made mm-hmm. choices are very questionable for some for some of the things but um this is this is this is one that um i have issues with there's a, i could see why there's a showgirls drinking game and, and, and you take a shot every time that she put if you took a shot every time she pouts or pushes or kicks someone you you're gonna be, plastered. yeah. You're gonna be a, ooh, you're gonna be on the floor. We've talked a, a, a lot about everything about this movie. Are there any? Are we forget what do we forget? I, I'm sure we're forgetting something. I mean, the big twist at the end is that she is not Noby Malone. That her name is actually Polly. And there's an actually, I will give the credit. This is an interesting bit of screenwriting where she shows up for her audition. One of the guy refers to her as Pollyanna because she's not dressed to be like auditioning for a, a Vegas showgirl show, and and uh, it turns out that her name is Polly, and that um, she's been arrested for soliciting all over the place and crack cocaine and you know that's the big ending to this movie is um, it starts where it ends it starts with her hitchhiking and it ends with her hitchhiking. This movie comes full circle, but she she won herself in Vegas, which is beautifully poetic. But then again, everybody got AIDS and shit. <laughs> oh wow! All right, <laughs> is that how we're wrapping this up? Well, are, are we forgetting anything to mention? I mean, I wanted to get into some certain points. Sure, please. Uh, I was just going to touch upon. Uh, Nomi seems to... Uh, I don't know if I want to get into it. 
she's humiliated a lot when she's have has her top ripped down, mm. exposing her breasts. It's kind of like a humiliation ritual. It happens more than once with her. And she seems to be this sexually dominant type of person who has to endure this humiliation uh, time and time again throughout the movie, um, putting her in a submissive uh, place, basically, right. a submissive role. Sure. So there's a lot of this kind of role-playing going on. When, when people um, relate to each other on a basic sexual level, usually it's broken down into who's dominant and who's submissive. So there's a lot of this kind of role play going on in the in the movie, um, in the goddess numbers and off off the stage yeah, as well. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, a lot of pushing mm -hmm. like your partner down mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly, exactly. So she's, um, but like you said, I think she she is she would be the dominant one, but she is sometimes forced to achieve that dominance to be submissive at times. Well. Yeah, but I'm okay. But there's also this whole thing about ripping her top down, like it's in her breasts. Like it seems to be. Uh, I mean, it's it's the it's the focal. I mean, there's so much there's so many breasts in this, and it's the focus of so much attention. For her in these moments, it's it's the source of humiliation, and there is this juxtaposition between the two that isn't consistent. Yeah, she's happy to show her breasts, but then she'll be subjected to this humiliation of being uh, forced to expose her breasts. If it's on her terms, sure. I think. I think. Sure. And it's not. Then it's not a humiliating exactly. experience. Yes. But oftentimes, I mean, I'm thinking particularly of when she dances with Gina Gershon, with Crystal, and Crystal does it to her. Um, that I mean, that's and she just stands there. She stands there, kind of like soaking in the humiliation. Now, I want to also quote, Verhoeven was talking about a teacher once saying to him that the breast of a woman is the most beautiful thing in the world. And of course, this reminds me of Russ Meyer, obviously, you know, like it makes me think of Russ Meyer as well. Sure. So, um, it's Although, with this... I, I will say Elizabeth Berkeley's breasts are not big enough for Russ, um, Russ they're Meyer. They're not. They're not. They're not. No, that's true. Russ Meyer is, uh, oh, oh, too small. Yeah. yeah he <laughs> Dismissed. Would, yeah, he'd be like, right, he'd be like the owner of the... Of he would the, take the girl... There's a lot of... Well, you know what? Not just her. There's a lot of humiliating talk towards women, which is, is apparent. Uh, you get it from... The club owner at the Cheetah is very... The way he... But like I said, this to me is the level of honesty that exists within showgirls. Within this world, there, this is basically kind of how, how it is. So sure. yes, it is. I mean, it is. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's, not, um, it's not empowering women at all to, be, to talk to them like that. But once again, we're dealing with you know, basic instincts. Sure. You know, primal, primal actions and primal behaviors. Primal behaviors. So it's almost like the dialogue was written around these primal behaviors. So I just had a thought. It's very... in The honesty in this movie. The the owner of the cheetah is just as sleazy as these casino guys. Right, which is interesting. But he is he is upfront and he is honest. Right. So you well, got... it's like what James said to her about being a stripper versus being a goddess. 
being a showgirl. Right. Yeah. So I see that thing. now. Like I yeah. didn't. It didn't really click with me, but I could see that. Uh, and the thing is, he turns out to be a nice guy after all. Like they come and visit her. And she's actually, you know, she's not going to let it show too much, but she is, you know, kind of glad to see him a little bit. I mean, you know, there's this kind, there is kind of this father figure thing going on with her in the movie. There is that's going on, so, right? And that's and, it, and it's played out a lot with these, uh, with these sleazy owners of these clubs. And and it's, fu- <laughs> and this is just like I guess this is just like a typical showgirls thing. He is so nice to her. When he comes to visit her, yeah, trying to be and, all like no, but he and he is he seems generally he's like they're happy for her, yeah, and they, they are. They're, they're and pre- he, he arrives with Henrietta, uh, with Harriet, Harriet, Hen- Henrietta, Henrietta, or Henry, as right, right, but, as they call her. But uh, but they both arrive together, and it's like parents visiting. It is, and mm-hmm. it's like parents visiting you at college or something, mm-hmm. and the, like he actually says. Henrietta says, oh, she doesn't miss us. And he goes, it's nice. He goes, well, mm-hmm. we miss her. Mm-hmm. And it's really, like, genuinely mm-hmm. nice. But in typical showgirls fashion, <laughs> we, we can't leave this scene on that, though. We have to leave the scene with him walking away and then looking back at her and going, must be nice not to have anybody come on you. Oh, my God, you're right. <laughs> I mean, this, this, is, this is what this movie is. is. It's like this is what this movie it's is. It's like it has these really nice tender moments, but then it has to like Yeah. It's like oh oh Esther yeah. Oz, I could just see him writing the strip going like, Oh wait, this is this is <laughs> this is too nice. Let's well, let's put in something absolutely crass. So and even, you know, slightly maybe yeah, nauseating. And there's there's some really crass talk like and there's one menstrual period joke about her why she missed work because she didn't want to bleed all over the stage. Oh. And then there's the disgusting scene where she's dancing with James and they're getting all intimate and um, she allows him to pull down her top to reveal her breasts and she's not, you know, she's into it. But then he starts, his hands start wandering down south and she goes, stop, I'm on my period. Scene should have just ended right there. But no. In typical showgirls fashion, I guess, uh, you know what? I take it back. The advertising was right. They took you to the edge with basic instinct. And this time we had to go all the way. So instead of just all ending the, the scene what? of <laughs> go ahead, find out. So she, he puts her hands yep. down her pants yep. and bleeds on his hand. and It's sexy people doing unsexy things. Mm-hmm. It's like it can't be. It's like we. It's like showgirls. We can't have nice things. We got this nice moment with like the owner saying how much he misses her, and like you know, like kind of like if you ever need to come back, we'll welcome you back with open arms. But then saying must be nice not to have anybody come with you. It's like we can't have nice things at showgirls. <laughs> like they'll tease you like it's a lollipop ring. But then, like, I'm surprised it didn't end up in somebody's ass later on in the movie, you know? Oh, my God. <laughs> Which is, a, like I said, there's always new things that I find in this movie. Every time I watch it, like, I'll hear a line or, like... Like, the James guy is a straight-up stalker. He's a creep in this movie. And he's supposed to be the nice love interest? Nobody in this movie is likable. It's... <laughs> but I love it. I love it, I love it. I'm done. You're done? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't have any final thoughts on Joe Girls? No. no? <laughs> 
Was it? Is it because we can't have nice things with showgirls? We have to end with something crass and d- disgusting, don't we? I think so. We can't have we can't have a nice thing. We have to end this show with uh. We'll end the show with this. Now there's a running gag with monkey poop, and monkey poop has ended up on the stage numerous times. Sometimes it gets cleaned up. Sometimes it doesn't. But apparently, it's because they eat too much garlic. Yeah. So. This, this is how we're going to end this episode. For those of you listening who own monkeys, don't feed them garlic because you will end up with monkey poop. Also, uh, it's worth noting that if you are a topless showgirls dancer, maybe it is best not to bring your kids backstage to work because that will end up... In a cat fight. In a cat fight. Again, I don't... that, But that's just... I mean, that's just like... Sh- it's like, that's showgirls! da 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 Andrew. Yes. <laughs> well, for Andrew's giggling himself. So, um. Oh, man. For okay. The, for, <laughs> for the Cult Film Companion, we hope you enjoyed our uh, Christmas. This was, yeah. Oh, yeah. that We, we uh, shoehorned this in for Christmas because there's Christmas decorations in a couple scenes. Show starts in Halloween because there's kids trick-or-treating. Then we jump to six weeks later, it makes it mid-November. Then throughout the course of the story, it takes place kind of during Christmas. We see some Christmas decorations. I think we hear a Christmas song in the background in one scene. But we are wrapping up our Christmas episodes with a doozy next time. So stick around when we do our very first John Waters episode on the Cult Film Companion. Um, you can find us on Twitter, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Instagram now. We are part of the Blind Knowledge Network that will be coming in January 2020. We're very excited about that. Thank you all again for joining us on this, um, this uh, trip to Vegas. We'll talk to you all again real soon.